0: We have some, about, we have some oh, other questions here. Okay. Some funny ones. Like, why do jazz musicians love C minor so much?
1: Oh, come on. Because it's easy. <laughs>
0: no. I, don't, I don't just love C minor. I love C minor burnout.
1: <laughs> right, right. But you know what I learned last week doing all that Stevie Wonder music? Like, it's in all his stuff is in really hard keys. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, um, um, Living for the City's G-flat.
0: G-flat, you know? that's right.
1: Although I did shift it up to G just for fun, you know. But actually, a lot of his keys, you know, a lot of E-flat minor, D-flat minor.
0: E-major. E-major, yeah. B-major isn't... um
1: But in some ways, it's, it's harder um, conceptually and and harmonically, I guess, or or just key wise. But in terms of the piano, it's actually some of the same advantages you get with like C minor. I oh think. yeah, you know, but, but as far as the the um, shifting back and forth from black to white
0: keys, that balance, of, you know, oh, yeah, the balance. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's why I think, yeah, my favorite keys are like A flat, E flat, where there's just a nice mix. But also G flat minor, man. Yeah, and then what was it? Am I still there?
1: Oh, yeah. E flat minor, Stevie likes
0: that.
1: (laughs) Yep. Ah, good stuff pod cave looking slick thanks luke what's up luke Dang right dang right you know what i'm saying all right here's one one. here's one here's one how do
0: you decide which version of a tune becomes definitive i learn tunes on piano then take them to my saxophone but on a pickup gig there's no guarantee what version the others will be playing you know i
1: think it depends on the tune like it's it's not so much for you to just decide sometimes it's already been decided you know Mm. Um, and you really you know I think eventually you there's certain tunes you have to learn several versions of several different definitive versions. I'm thinking like on Green Dolphin Street, you've definitely got like the miles version um, and what else? Maybe that's the only one who knows,
0: but um, well, like round midnight. Round Midnight, yeah, there's... There's so like six versions of that. There
1: really should only be one version, which yeah, is The yeah. Lonest month. but because Miles had such an outsized influence. So I would say that's two, because I, I used to be that guy that was like, I, I play it the right way, and then the bass player would be looking at me like, I'm playing the wrong note. I'm like, no, this is the way it is. And But then nobody really knew it. Like I mean, now people are getting better about learning that stuff. So you don't want to be that dogmatic um, about it. So there's usually several you need to learn. I think that... Um, you know, if it's something that you're not sure about, I always like to think about going back to the vocal versions that are a little bit closer to, the, closer to the originals maybe so that you can build up from that and then you can hear some of these other versions and ways people play. It's a lot easier to add things in than to take them away. is said the other way around. No, remember. you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. But you know what I'm saying? And so then it becomes a ma- and an additive thing in terms of you know where you're starting from and then you go from there.
0: That's true. I mean, if you're trying to like play with musicians, if you're trying to like kind of climb your way up yeah. Um, really learn the versions that the musicians around you know. Right. That's always been a, a tip that I like to follow. It's like, you know, be in the be on the scene. Right. That's really it. That's right. Really it. Be on the scene
1: like a sex machine. That's what James Brown's song is. Just
0: saying. <laughs> I mean, that's the name of the song. Come on. That is. Here's a really good one. Um, oh, uh, Vladimir actually has a good suggestion. Kieser. Has good ideas for advanced left hand. That's true, actually. The keys to jazz piano has some really good ideas yep. uh, for our last commenter. Yeah. Uh, jazz girl three says, "For those who sing and play piano at the same time, what accompaniment do you recommend? Playing rootless chords only while singing falls a bit short without a bass player. Any suggestions?" So, jazz girl three, uh, we we over here like to start you out on the root shell pretty <clears throat> side of things. All you need is the root, the shell, which is the third and seventh. Right? And then some pretty notes, like the 9th, 13th, 11th, 5th, it depends on the chord, yeah. but that structure from the bottom up, Jazz Girl 3, root, shell, pretty, yep. this is going to get you to the promised land. It's really all you need, get started at least. Yeah,
1: and I would just add, you know, in terms of like, I mean, that's the specific things to play. To me, it doesn't get any better than Shirley Horn for yeah. accompaniment, for piano playing, vocal accompaniment, you know, to, you know whether it's the same person or not. We always talk about she had an advantage because, I, I mean, if she was playing behind another singer, would have been, I think, just as brilliant. But, I mean, I think there's so much you can learn. And you can check out the way that she voices certain things. Um, she definitely did a lot of these, like... Um, uh, what was it? Uh, like some real like hip kind of fourth voicings and then just some like root and shell kind of things. And like she shifted in and out of these things. So if you study... That
0: sounds familiar, Pete. I gotta be honest. What? That
1: sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm stealing it. <laughs> so it's just a matter of like really... Shirley Horn stuff is very accessible, I think, to singers. And I encourage just pianists in general, especially if you want to learn how to play behind a singer, to really analyze her playing and um the way that, you know, not only just what her voicings... Like once you catch her voicings, you're like, oh, that's pretty simple i can get that but then when she decides to use them how she uses them her timing like it's all part of it you know but it's all stuff that you can learn and and, um analyze for sure
0: that's good stuff oh there's some really good questions coming in now so uh anthony says i second piano man's question we must have missed this how to juggle all of life's responsibilities and still find time for quality practice family and healthy habits. Oh, this is easy. Just put your family and your healthy habits aside and yeah. only play the piano. I tried that for a while. It did not work yeah. out that great. Yeah, you, you're going to want to do that for about 10 15 years, Andy. <laughs>
1: right. Um, yeah, this is great. Okay, so I think um, you know, for me, what I've found over the years, those are actually three things that I'm I probably spend the most amount of time on right now: quality practice, just music in general, family and healthy habits or at least trying to be healthy habits first of all the fact you say healthy with habits like that's the more you can make the any of these things habitual i think the better because it's just less to think about so like spending time with family spending time practicing um and actually we're going to record some episodes you don't even know about this yet adam right after this about you know s- successful habits specifically within practice that can make it so you don't have to practice 10 hours a day because cool. nobody's got 10 hours a day. And I actually don't, I no longer think that's a great thing to do, 10 hours. I don't know that I ever did think it was great. I did do it sometimes, but I really believe part of like getting older and getting better and learning more about how to progress as a musician is about like, how do I, I mean, not hack, not that we'd ever no, say it's wisdom, it. you're talking about wisdom here. Yeah, but like how do you get 10 hours of practice in three hours? I, I really do believe that's possible. I'm like, shoot, we've been doing this long enough now we should be able to figure some of that stuff out. So I think optimizing your time as a whole, as opposed to being like, okay, I've got to, today's my practice day. I'm going to put my family to the side. It's like, no, what are the best times that your family schedule works for you when you can really have that quality time and that, that great family time on this day? Yeah, of course you want to have a vacation and a weekend or whatever, that undivided time. But to me, I find it, it's like you find those times to Really be able to interact with people. And then you find that alone time. Like, when when is the time when you love being alone? Like, when you don't want to be around anyone else? That's your practice time. Mm -hmm. Like, when you, and and I mean, you know, some people introvert, extrovert, we could talk about that, but the idea is, like, you've got to find that solitude at some time. And if it can't be, you can't have the luxury of 10 hours a day, so you've got to figure out, how do I optimize? Yep. So that two hours, that 90 minutes, I mean, we've talked about 15 minutes a day. If it's the right 15 minutes, you can make some
0: progress during I that. I think pretty much everybody... I mean, we've been in some... We're old enough now that we've been in, old, in, in about as hairy of parenting situations, right, as you can get. Multiple children... Picking sp- them up at the police station. Oh all, Tell gosh. me about it, man. School? <laughs> no, but, you know, that whole school, work, yep. travel. We've done that kind of stuff yep. a lot. And now with the pandemic, you know, I've done, like, homeschooling, and you think you have all this time, but you really don't. Right. And so I... I've come to think sourdough that bread. Sourdough bread. <laughs> no, if you, I think pretty much everybody, unless you are having to, and you're, unless you're in a really bad spot, you're working like two or three jobs, and you have just, you know, you're a single parent, you have, a, you know, m- multiple multiple kids, all very little, which is a real possibility for a lot of people. But if if you have any kind of um, balance, you got at least half an hour. I think everybody can yeah. carve out half an hour a yeah. day to do what something for them. So. What I do is consider my time in half an hour, hour chunks throughout the day. You yeah. know, I have my early mornings where I will either work out, do some yoga, go for a walk. Can we call that Adam time? A little Adam time. A L- little, little me time. <laughs> a little me time. I have my lunch time where I'll eat, but also maybe do a brief meditation. Mm-hmm. And then I have, you know, time in usually either the now it's like either the early morning or late morning or even late afternoon or late evening. Kind of varies. Yeah. And that's kind of my practice time. Yeah. Whether I'm gonna do some singing or some playing or some writing, you know, all of that is where I just kind of I just kinda of block out an hour. Yep. And also I think the key with this is if time with your husband or wife gets in the way of that one night Divorce let it. them. <laughs> oh sorry. No, that was well
1: ugh. that just that, came out so it's a possibility. That. <laughs> that is
0: that is an option, but you know, let it happen. Yeah. And be okay with that. And accept where you are right then. And and don't also don't compare yourself. To what Peter does or what I do or what your neighbor does. That's... Do better.
1: Do better than us and your neighbor.
0: <laughs> well, Don't not... covet
1: thy neighbor's practice routine. You're just Is that not what you're saying.
0: Yeah, you're just <laughs> not going to. You got to find something that works for you. And really, you can't give a shit about what other people are doing. Right. You just have to find what works for you. Are you growing in the way that you want to? You you probably aren't ever. And that's okay. You got to yeah. accept that. And just we're just constantly, you know, Peter and I are constantly tweaking. How are doing this? Yeah. Just got to constantly tweak. That's yeah. It. And I'll just add, actually, I'll try to do this quickly because there's three things
1: I thought about. One of these might be helpful to some of you or maybe all three, but three things that at different times and in different ways have been really game changing for me in addressing this, you know, finding time because there's some other things even on that list that I'm involved with as well that are starting to take up, you know, a fair amount of time. So it's like, how do you juggle them? The first thing is like, really look at the amount of just bullshit doing yeah and it's not to say that what's what's difficult about this so i'll put out there like watching netflix or, or whatever streaming things and to say that that's bs like there's so much high quality stuff on there so we get sucked into like oh my god this is so great but i just mean consumption in general like we're always with a battle as artists of consumption versus producing something sure and so practicing and spending time getting better is about producing something even if you're not making a gig or making a record or something so watch your consumption amount of time because we all spend more time than we think on that um and then uh and it's not to say that you can't zone out on netflix sometime but don't well, sit there and watch netflix for three hours and be like oh my god i didn't have a t- time to spend with my family it's like yeah. you know that's the first the second is um turn off all your notifications like I've told so many people this, and they gloss over, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, yes." I mean, I mean, really. Like, I just my phone is, and look, people that know me, they're like, "You never answer your phone." I'm like, it doesn't ring because I yeah. have it on do not disturb all the time.
0: No, and you're like, notice when I call you, I'm in a very calm, collected mood because I'm not like upset. <laughs> no, I I, I, yeah. I go through periods where I turn off texts, everything. Yeah, yeah, like where I cannot be reached. On anybody's time, but my own,
1: yeah, because if you start looking at that, like, you know you you can go in and see how much time you spend on your phone, It gives you that report. Like you will be shocked at how much time. So not to say that, look, we we love technology around here, and I've got the phone, but don't let the phone control you, your time. like you got to use it as a tool as a kind of betterment. So that's the second, the third thing I can't, oh, well, what what you mentioned, Adam, about you know meditating sometimes during lunch, this is in general, like if we have a little bit more thoughtful, mindful, um, attitude about how we're going to allocate our time like it's very easy to kind of wake up in the morning and be like oh my god i gotta spend time with my family i gotta do this and then you can get onto this sort of frantic thing yeah so the great thing about meditation and being mindful in you know mindfulness is great to introduce to some of these other things like healthy like you can combine some of these things mindfulness sure. and practicing for sure yeah and mindfulness and exercise you know but you can't combine them if you're like okay, while I'm running or while I'm working out, I'm going to be listening to a podcast and reading and reading on my Kindle. Right. And being, being my, no, I mean, there's only, there's only a limit to what yeah. you, you, we can't multitask. You can't actually.
0: connect with your friends and have a happy hour at 9am and then expect to practice for, for an well, hour. Well,
1: we did try that. We it, tried it, it, it a couple was fun, times. but it, it, it was yeah, a good time. We were time. not as successful with some parts. We now. didn't get anything done. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, all right, let's move on to John's question. I had a teacher that wrote out fingering chords, changes by number three, five, flat seven, nine, et cetera. I've only heard someone reference this once during your podcast. Specific teaching style for school. Uh yeah, so we talk about that, like what's the third, fifth, seventh. I think that's what you mean. And then even amongst changes, you know, here's the one, the four, three, flat, three, flat, six, five. Yeah, that's how jazz musicians and actually a lot of cultures of musicians talk about changes. Two, five, one. Is that? I think that's what you meant. Oh. Uh, Amy says, advice for piano people who can't reach a tenth for the left-hand voicings that aren't muddy when playing solo. Mm. Roll the tenth? Yes. Roll it, yep. Use a touch of pedal? Yes. Also good. Also, Amy, thirds and don't even worry about that (laughs) top note. It's also an option. Exactly. And and also, this
1: is one of those things that I, like, think about it with the growth mindset. Because sometimes, you know, being able to, like, for me, there's a bunch of them that I can't reach. I mean, I can kind of reach them all if I have to, but there's only like half of them or whatever that I'm really comfortable with of the majors. Um, and then we'll use, but what that helps is like, I have to be creative. So like, think about different ways, you know, to, and this is not the most creative stuff I'm doing right now to tell you, but there is a lot like any kind of, any kind of problem or, 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 um, what would you call it? Not a problem. Just like, a. A physical abnormality. No, no, I guess it's not that either. No, it's just a, <laughs> you know anything that you can't do or that's a challenge. Right. There's always a solution. There's and always like, a solution. A lot of times we think about the simplest solution it was like I got to grow my hand bigger. Whatever. That's not going to happen. So it's like how do you not only overcome that? The growth mindset is like I want to make I want to be able to do stuff better because it's it's kind of like we all knew the. You know the the guy growing up in high school who was like six foot eight, and since he was little, I mean, by the time he got to high school, he was six foot eight. You know, when he's little. Everybody's like, "Oh, you should play basketball," and like he never really had a passion for it. Yeah. But he was always on the team, and then he was always really good because he would just stand there. And then yeah. once the other kids got a little bigger, and he's not an run athlete. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not really an athlete. He has no passion for the game, so he never grew. Right. No pun intended. Beyond that, so yeah. that's sort of like just have, being able to stretch does not give you that mindset where you're going to be creative and come up with some stuff. Well,
0: don't you think also like like part of the reason why you and, and Amy, you should think about it like this way too. You can frame this as, you know, you don't have hands like Vladimir Horowitz and, and really nobody does. Right. But what you're going to have to do if you want to try to get something close to a 10th is going to make for your unique sound. Yes. Like if you have to roll, then you're going to, you know, you spend time doing that eventually you're not going to be trying to sound like Art Tatum, who can just effortlessly hit any 10th or 11th on the piano. Yeah. You're going to sound like Amy, who has this really cool technique for grabbing notes a 10th above. Like, And and then people are going to start copying what you do, because it's it's different. Like, You yeah. don't just have that Art Tatum thing, right? You have yep. that Amy thing now. And that's, I think when we think about our limitations, or even just who we are and what our strengths are, I think leaning into those, and even leaning into our weaknesses, and like you said, just being like, you know, I just, I have a passion for this, I'm gonna make it happen uh, by hook or crook, and then it's gonna be my thing, right? However I do it, however I do it. So just make it happen, make it happen.
1: Cool, okay, so we had actually a nice little issue came up earlier, and then some folks actually sort of answered this, Um, but, I'm a singer, is it a crime to transpose standards to a key that fits my voice? Uh, Accompanied with piano only, so do not bother the non-C instruments. Okay, I think, FB, you're being way too deferential to these dumb musicians. Yeah, for uh, real. I mean, not that singers aren't musicians. I'm, I should say dumb non-vocalists. Um in that, no, of course, it's not a, definitely not a crime. Um, and then somebody did already answer. It's like, no, the musicians need to adjust around the singer. Yeah, that's so right. the, the whole thing with this is like, it, it always comes back to, I think, kind of first principles on this. Like, what is going to sound the best? Like, uh, so much of this stuff becomes so much easier. And I hear musicians arguing about this on the bandstand or not. Should we do this? Should we do that? No, you got to do my. Like, there's not enough people saying what is going to be the best total package, total sound for the audience. Like if you're playing solo piano, if you're doing solo vocals or if you're solo flute, if you're playing by yourself, it's all up to you. You have to still, you know, define different parts of the musicality, but it's the same basic question that you're trying to answer, which is like, what is the most edifying performance? And this is not about like, how do I channel how, you know, you look at the audience like, oh, it's Kenny G fans. So let's play Songbird no and i'm not saying that but oh, i'm saying like doesn't you're... have to
0: have kenny g fans for me to want to play songbird buddy
1: <laughs> well but i'm just saying like it's not about pandering to the audience big shout out to kenny g Yo. but um what i mean is like you you have to have a collective artistic vision and when you have a vocalist when you're lucky enough to have a vocalist as part of that like you want to take advantage of that part just like when you have piano you're taking advantage of what we bring to the table you know every instrument's like how do you combine these things For it to come out sounding great to the audience. Like that's the only question you have to answer. So for the vocalist to be in the the right, the best range. Now, this may not be the best key for that the vocalist thinks they can sing it. It yeah. has to be in their range but sometimes there's those things and this is a very nuanced thing I don't know a huge amount about but I have gone through this and tested it by year, where you're you're finding depending on that song and where your voice breaks where it works the best with different phrases and high points so that's another
0: discussion. Well especially things like Great American Songbook Standards you know those were so meticulously written those melodies and yep. their, every, me- every note of the melody has a purpose and where it peaks and where it where it valleys has a purpose. And yeah. so you have to defer to the singer's vocal range for that because they have strong parts of their voice, stronger yeah. parts of the voice than others. And they're going to want to put those those important notes towards the end of the tune on strong parts. And that should not be dictated by the fact that the pianist can't play... In E major, yeah. Like you have to, and as instrumentalists, it's our responsibility to be able to do that. Uh, the person who said the band has to adjust to the singer's key, not the other way around, exactly. then says, "But you should probably have the music ready in that key for everyone if it's an odd key." I kind of disagree with that. I think you need to expect, and we should expect, our instrumentalists to be able to play in all twelve keys. I mean, if you if you want to make sure that it's solid, yes, you know, have charts or whatever. Yeah. I don't think though that I, I honestly. I mean, I think what she's saying is just, if you're, if you have special arrangements, maybe, but I don't know for, well, it depends on the level.
1: Like there's not, I mean, you're talking the very, very top level that can play. See, see, this is ladies and gentlemen, Adam Menace only deals at the high level because not everyone's around musicians that can do that. And you don't want it to turn into a thing where it's like, um, you know, round midnight, a minor in three, one, come on, you're musicians. You got to do it. You know, you don't want to be that singer. um, so yeah, if there's a special arrangement and if it's a if it's a tune that is typically sung in in one key say for a female vocalist or a male vocalist and you're going to really go into a, a very possibly difficult area. Now, if if you're coming with the Adam Maness trio or the Peter Martin trio or, or any perfect, you know, anybody who's saying like, I'm a player, then absolutely everyone should be able to play these songs in the different keys. If it's a, if it's a sort of uh, you know, great American Songbook jazz standard, these kinds of things. And I think that, you know, we've all been in those situations, but I, I think there's also it's a nuance and there has to be a little give and take, but absolutely the first principle on this is that it, the song is done in what's going to sound best for the vocalist because the vocalist cannot change their instrument. The vocalist's instrument is their voice. Like we have the piano. We can play in every key. And so for us to be like, well, we could say it's easier for us in this one key, but we can't say that the piano is going to sound better in that key. No, for sure. Because we're not even playing the melody. The vocalist is singing the melody. That's right. If we're doing everything, then we can say, what
0: does it feel best? What does it sound best just for us? But back to the chart thing, don't you think that, what do you think about this? So sometimes I notice if I give charts to people on, weird, with weird keys, yeah. which I don't know if I do. I do sometimes, but mostly it's like with my trio, I have a couple of pop tunes I play that are actually really, really simple. I have charts on them and I've done both where I just start playing them yeah. and I expect the bass player to figure it out. yeah, And then I, or I give them the chart, which is like eight bars long. You know, it's nothing, yeah. whatever. I've noticed though that a lot of bass players, if I give them the chart, they're just noses in the chart, even though it's the eight same same eight chords over and over again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I just play the first couple of choruses, around are going to be a little rough. That's right, right, right. But then we're going to have a better overall experience by the time we get to the end. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that yeah that might
1: be the sort of nuanced thing is like is are they going to be able to get through without the chart and be able to come around? But that depends on the players. And it that. does. It does. But, but for sure, you you know we we see everybody needs to get out of the chart as quick as they can. But that's sure. part of that whole. Kind of mindset of like, what's the creative side? of things? Well,
0: this is going to roll right into the next question. I've uh, This is again from Jazz Girl <laughs> 3. I've heard a lot of jazz musicians say the best thing you can do for yourself is to put the real books away and not use them. Do you agree? Yes. In general, yes. I think the real book could be a great reference. But for sure, the faster you realize just what we were just saying that I think for most of us, it's easier to get your head out of the page yeah. and to not use that part of your brain and to hear your way through a tune and you might not be as accurate but it will be more natural, more authentic and you will learn more if that's your goal
1: yeah, yeah, yeah um I mean, you know, I'm no real book fan at all, so I I would probably be even more so, more for, more so for the inaccuracies of it, yeah. uh, but also that you know your head being buried in it. But it's just like anything. It's like how are you going to use it? It's 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 a tool. I, I always go more towards sparingly, uh, but I think with so many great quality transcriptions and I mean, you know, the the lead sheets that we put out here at Open Studio, just they're only in house for members. There's nothing like we're publishing or anything. And these are just reference points for specific um songs but i think that the accuracy on those i really stand stand behind those because like if i do a lesson like i did one last week on jazz piano method on ugly beauty i don't even know if it's come out yet i don't think it's come out yet hmm. but um thelonious monk song like i've never seen a a totally i've seen a couple of transcriptions that are pretty good but i've never seen a lead sheet that was 100% accurate. Yeah, they're bad, and it's actually. not that, I mean, it is a little tricky, but it's just people are lazy about it. Willie
0: Aikens had a good one. Oh, did he? He had a good sheet on that, yeah. But it probably never made it to the internet. Or, no, or it literally was book. the same one since like
1: 1979. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that um, you have to keep that in mind.